This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to Worship with West Concord Online. We're glad you're here with us today. We're going to continue in our series on discipleship as God intended. We've entitled it Inside Out, because again, we think of church growth as being something that's just outreach, but church growth is also in reach in the sense that we grow together as believers and as disciples. And so we're going to look at this week, last week, and the weeks ahead, discipleship as God intended. And today we're going to talk about living in God's vineyard from John chapter 15. Now we're going to spend about three weeks, including today in John chapter 15, because as Jesus had been telling his disciples in John chapter 14, they had experienced the Lord's Supper. They had spent their time together. He had told them that they would be taken and crucified. They grieved. He comforted them. And now as they leave the area, the upper room where they had the uh, Lord's Supper, where they had their, what they call the Last Supper, Jesus is walking through the temple area and uh, he's giving them some last instructions and some last encouragements in John chapters 15 and 16. We're going to focus on John chapter 15 where Jesus is going to encourage them, challenge them and bolster them concerning their relationships. And he covers three relationships in John chapter 15. He talks about our relationship with God. He then talks about our relationship with one another as the church or what will be the church after he uh, ascends into heaven. And then he will talk about our relationship with the world. So as we get into this today, we're going to talk about our relationship with God. And it's interesting because at this point in Jesus' ministry, at this point in biblical chronology, uh, we're still in a Jewish economy. Uh, Jesus has brought the message to the Jews. The Jews have basically rejected him. The next day after this discourse, they're going to take him and crucify him. And he's going to compare in our passage today uh, God's relationship and a relationship with God with a vineyard. And it's interesting because I believe Jesus is, is referring back to specifically Isaiah chapter and so I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 5. It says this beginning in verse 1. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a tower in its midst and also made a winepress in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard? What I have not done in it. Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled down and I will lay it to waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. There shall not come up briar, rather there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. Now here is verse seven where we get the connection. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts 
is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. And he looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help, or a crying wail, as the Hebrew tells us. And so here, Jesus is, seems to be reflecting upon, if not this specific passage, than other passages in the Old Testament that are similar to this passage. And he's speaking of his relationship with the nation of Israel. And when we think of discipleship, we talked about in the weeks past that a disciple has to be discipled. In other words, we need to be discipled by the Lord if we're going to be good disciples for the Lord. And if we're going to be disciples of the Lord, then it stands the reason we will do that because those kind of relationships are important to Christ as he seeks to draw people to him. As a matter of fact, relationship is very important to God. Uh, a man by the name of Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist, has this to say about relationships. He said, relationship or bonding then is at the foundation of God's nature. Since we are created in his likeness, relationship is our most fundamental need, the very foundation of who we are. Without relationship, without attachment to God and others, we can't be true to ourselves and we can't be truly human. So when we think of discipleship, relationship goes along with that. And so as we tackle the word of God today, as we jump into it and seek God's face in it, Relationship is first and foremost on our mind because without a relationship with somebody, you can't disciple somebody. Without being in a right relationship with God and right fellowship with Him, He will not and cannot disciple you. So relationship is foundational to doing discipleship the way God intended. So as we get ready to go into John 15 and, and bring this all out from the scriptures, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, through his death on the cross and his payment for sin, Father, we thank you that we can have a relationship with you once again. Father, the relationship between you and humanity was broken in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against you. But Father, you restore that relationship through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for that. When we come to him in faith, we receive forgiveness and we're restored into relationship with you. Father, I pray that not only would we enjoy that relationship with you, but Father, we would walk in fellowship with you. And Father, we would extend that relationship out to those in our family, in our circles of influence, in our jobs, our, our schools, where we work, our neighborhoods. Father, so that we might disciple and bring along those who know you to a deeper relationship with you so that they might have fellowship with you. Bless us, Lord, as we open your word. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in John chapter 15. And again, John 15 covers three different relationships. John talks about our relationship with God, our relationship with one another within the household of God, and finally, our relationship with the world. Today, we're going to look at our relationship with God. And God is going to do this through Christ in the idea of the vineyard. Uh, vineyards were very ubiquitous in the time of Jesus in Israel. They still are all over the place in Israel. Uh, raising grapes and so forth was, was part of what people did. Very agricultural, very agrarian. And so Jesus, as he was 
always seen doing, decided he would use this as an object lesson. Uh, Bible scholars differed on, differ rather on why he chose a vineyard for his uh, illustration. I again believe he was hearkening back to this passage in Isaiah we just looked at. Also, there are other passages in the New Testament that speak of Israel as being the vineyard that God was working in. But it is believed that as God was walking through the center, the heart of Jerusalem, as he passed by the temple, there were carvings of, of vines and grapes on the side of a portion of the temple where Jesus likened that and God likened that to Israel. Also, it is believed that perhaps Jesus went through the garden or a garden that was a vineyard and he was using that. Whatever the object was, I don't know if we can know for sure, but whatever the object was, Jesus wanted to use the object of the vineyard to help us to understand our relationship with him. So as we jump into it, I want you to notice first, as he, as he draws this picture, we see the vine and the vine dresser. He's going to talk about the vine in the vineyard and the vine dresser. He says in verse 1 of chapter 15, I am the true vine. Now that's not opposed to a false vine or a fake vine, that's opposed to a lesser vine. Jesus is saying, I am the more genuine vine. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. So when we think of a vineyard, the main vine is represented here as the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the vine in this vineyard. The Jews of the Old Testament would look to him as the coming Messiah. In this instance, the Messiah is present here amongst the vineyard. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. So as we look at this, we see that this illustration that Jesus gives is talking about the relationship first between God and Israel, between God and Israel. Jesus was their promised Messiah. All the way back to the very first chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 3, Jesus speaks of a coming Messiah, one who would come and be the Savior. And so he then, when, uh, when uh, Israel is uh, planned in Genesis 12 and through Abraham is founded and the history goes on, Jesus is that Messiah that they look toward. And God is the vine dresser of the vineyard wherein Jesus the Messiah is the vine. But Jesus has some rather difficult words here. He says, every branch in me. Now that, that's an interesting phrase. I want you to, to keep that in mind because we're going to contrast a little bit. But he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And when he talks about the branches in him, he's talking about the nation of Israel at this point. They are part of that, that vineyard. They are part of that connection with God. The nation of Israel is still beloved as God's people. The Jews today are still God's chosen people, not because they're any better than anybody else, but he, because he chose them for a task. And that task was twofold. It was to bring the written word of God, which is the Bible that you're holding hopefully in your lap, or it was to bring, and rather, it was to bring the living Word of God, who is, in fact, Jesus Christ, the vine of the vineyard. And he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So he's already putting the nation of Israel on notice. Look, you've rejected me. You're not going to bear fruit. Therefore, your time is nearly up. And so he's basically talking about the emptiness of religion. The Jews were very religious people in that day. 
They were going through the motions of the temple. The Pharisees were keeping the law to the best of their ability. Not only that, but laws that were created and added to by different rabbis and priests. They were very fundamental and very religious. But unfortunately, that religion was empty. It was just like in the days of Isaiah. When God looked for justice and God looked for righteousness, he saw oppression and outcry rather. And so relationship is so important. But then, even then, it was somewhat skewed or broken. And he said, and I will take those vines back in Isaiah that are not producing these, these fruits of righteousness and justice, and I will cast them off. They will be burned. And Jesus seems to be bringing out the same idea when he's speaking of this empty religion, as we saw referenced in Isaiah chapter 5. But I want you to notice as we read the rest of this passage, we go into... Uh, Verse 3, he says, well, let me pick it up again in verse 2. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And we're going to talk a little while what that fruit is. And so there are two different kinds of branches. There is the barren branch and there is the fruitful branch. The barren branch, speaking of that branch of empty religion that Israel at the time seemed to represent. And then, of course, there is that fruitful branch. He goes on to kind of say more about this in verse 3. He says, You already are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, he talks about the branches that bear fruit, and they bear fruit, but they need to bear much fruit. You know, that's the kind of progression we see here in this passage as we look at it. We're not going to unpack that part fully, but in this passage, we see no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And the ideal is that the branches in Christ are to bear much fruit. God is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. The branches attached to him should bear, not only bear fruit, that's good, but we should be bearing more fruit and much fruit. The nation of Israel was failing to do that. They were going through empty religion. And through this religion and religiosity, they were oppressing people and putting people down. They had sort of a, a sort of an exclusive club where they let everybody and left everybody out. And so Jesus said, look, they're not bearing any fruit. There's a problem here. But he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the ideal is to keep that progression of fruit, more fruit, and eventually much fruit going. He tells his disciples here, you already are clean. In other words, they have been pruned by simply spending time with him, by receiving his word. And that's how God prunes his branches. When we receive his word and we begin to bear fruit, then he wants to prune us. And that pruning can come from different issues of life, different struggles in life that can come from reading God's word and being convicted in God's word. God uses many ways to prune his branches and his disciples have already begun to experience that. He said, you're already clean because of the word which I spoke to you or which I have spoken to you. In other words, they've received a great deal of pruning. Now, I want you to notice the first word in verse 4. He says, abide in me. Before he talked about the branches that were in him. These are the branches that were in the nation of Israel. These were God's people. But here he says to abide in him. And that word literally means to make yourself at home in him, in Jesus. He said, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we move from the empty religion of Israel to the empowerment of a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've said before, and I, I'll say again, that Christianity pretty much is not a religion as the world sees it. You know, oftentimes when the religions uh, of the world are mentioned, Christianity is lumped in with them, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. A religion is humanity's attempt to bind themselves to God. God there sets a law and people try to keep said law in order to curry or earn God's favor. They try to bind themselves to him. That's what the Latin word religion, religio, it means to bind back. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with God, a relationship in Christ, not just in him by being part of the vineyard, but being in him by making ourselves at home in him and allowing him to come in and make himself at home in us. This begins when we receive Jesus as our personal savior. When we come to the place where we acknowledge our sin, we own our sin, and we realize our sin separates from us from God, we then come to the place where we realize there's nothing we can do of ourselves to earn our salvation. No religion will get us to heaven. Being religious won't get us to heaven. As a matter of fact, religion will more than keep you out of heaven. It won't let you go to heaven. And so God provides a relationship through faith in Christ. When we place our faith and trust in him and on him, God forgives us and gives us everlasting life. According to the book of Ephesians chapter one, we become sealed with God's spirit. God comes to live within us. And so therefore we make our home in Christ and Christ makes his home in us. And it is the empowerment of that relationship that supersedes the emptiness of religion. He says, again, you abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The only way to be a fruitful branch is to be at home in Jesus and for Jesus to be at home in us. You see, that's our relationship with the vine and the vine dresser. The nation of Israel, and for that matter, all those who have, who have trusted in empty religion to curry God's favor, sorry, they, they've lost it and they're lost. But when we step away from religion and we accept that relationship, we enter that relationship with Christ through faith in Him as our Savior, then we have an empowerment of God. We become grafted onto the vine so that we might bear fruit. See, the Jews actually have, a, have, an, have an advantage over us who are Gentiles in that they already are part of that grand vineyard. According to Ephesians, uh, Paul tells us in chapter 2 that we've been grafted on spiritually through Christ as Gentiles. But nonetheless, it's that empowering relationship that Jesus is talking about, that relationship with God that empowers us through him. So the vine and the vine dresser, he's talking about God and Israel and how that relationship works and how he is the vine, the intercessor, if you will, between the vineyard and the vine dresser. And then he moves on as we continue and he begins to get specific with the disciples. And we're going to look at the vine now and the branches, the vine and the branches. And this is going to speak of Christ and his church. Now, at this point in time, there was no church 
But again, Jesus was going to be crucified the very next day. He was going to be crucified. He was going to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross. He would die three days later. He would rise again from the dead. Forty days after that, he would ascend into heaven. And the disciples would establish the church of Jesus Christ. And all of these messages between uh, chapters 15 and 16 are preparing the disciples for that eventuality. And so we see the vine and the branches speaking of the relationship of Christ and the church. So let's look at that. As we continue on in verse 5, he says, and again, he's making it very clear, I am the vine and you are the branches. He goes on to say, he who abides in me. This word abide is one of the key words of this passage. He who abides in me makes his home in me and I in him, speaking of that relationship that comes only through Christ and salvation in him. He says, and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. It's a, just a reiteration of the fact that as we abide in Christ and he abides in us, that relationship empowers us to do better fruit bearing. We're going to talk about what that fruit is in just a moment. Now he's going to give kind of a understanding of this relationship. And notice this, our relationship with Christ, therefore, should be abundantly fruitful based upon this empowering relationship. If our relationship is what it should be in Christ, and, and if we're in Him and abiding in Him, and He is making His home in us, we have trusted Him, we are walking with Him, we are surrendered to Him and living for Him, and that abiding relationship is going on, then our relationship with Christ should be abundantly fruitful. He says, we will bear much fruit because without Him, we will do nothing. Here's the, here's the negative, verse six. If anyone does not abide in me. Now he's referring primarily to the Jews, but also to anybody in the world who has not entered into a personal relationship with Him. He said the Jews were in Him in a sense that they were the people of God and they were the chosen nation of God. But in a real sense, they had rejected their Messiah and therefore they were not abiding in Him. As a matter of fact, the next day they're going to crucify Him. The empty religious uh, followers are going to take Him and crucify Him. And again, this is not a besmirchment of Jews or uh, Judaism because all religions, whether it's religionized Christianity, religionized Judaism, all religions who are counting on their good works and law keep, keeping to be saved, they're empty and there is no relationship. So he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. And so here he's telling us about this relationship that, listen, if there is no root, there will be no fruit. And it harkens back once again to the Isaiah 5 passage where he looked at the nation of Israel and said, you did not produce the good grapes. You produced the wild grapes. You did not produce the fruit I expected. Therefore, he said, I took you out and had these plants burned and I dug them up. There would be no pruning. There would be no cultivating, no digging. They would just be withered and taken out and burned. That is what will happen to those who claim religion or who follow through the motions. And listen, 
Our churches are full of these kind of people. Religious saints who do not have a relationship with Christ. Oh, they have a relationship with their church. They have a relationship with some committee. They have a relationship with a denomination, but they have never come to the place where they've fallen on their face before a crucified, risen Savior in faith in Jesus Christ. So our relationship with Christ should be abundantly fruitful. But if we are not abiding in Him and Him in us, there's no fruit. And if there's no root, there is no fruit. If we haven't come to the place where we've rooted in Christ, there will be no fruit. And it's also the other way around. If there's no fruit in someone's life, now we can talk about what that fruit could be. You know, that fruit can be many different things. Here in this passage, because there's such an agrarian metaphor here, this fruit could actually be others one to Christ. You know, when an apple tree bears fruit, what does it bear? Apples. When an orange tree bears fruit, what does it bear? Oranges. When a Christian bears fruit, what does he or she bear? Christians. Fruit can be going out and bringing people to Jesus Christ. Fruit can also be, according to Galatians 5, it talks about nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You can look it up and read it. It talks about different spiritual characteristics that the Spirit of God bears in our lives as we yield to Christ. Also, fruit can be referenced to good works, righteousness and justice, as Isaiah mentioned back in chapter 5. So there are many aspects of fruit bearing. Fruit bearing involves bringing people to Christ. Fruit bearing involves allowing the Spirit as we yield to Him to cultivate different aspects of character traits in our lives, goodness, uh, joyfulness, and patience and peace. All of these things and fruit bearing speaks of just those acts of righteousness, selflessness, those things that we demonstrate outwardly, which proves a relationship inwardly with Christ. That's again, discipleship works from the inside out. So the vine and the branches refer to Christ in the church. Our relationship should be bountifully, abundantly fruitful because if there's no root, there's no fruit. And the same if there's no fruit, now, I'm not the editor of anybody's salvation. I can't do that. But if I don't see fruit in someone's life, sometimes I'll tend to question, was there any root at all? Now, works don't save us and fruit isn't a, as an object of salvation, but it's an evidence of salvation. So that's one aspect of the vine and branches. Also, he goes on to talk about our relationship with Christ and it should be eternally bountiful. Look what he says in verse seven. If you abide in me, Again, here's that phrase. It's over and over again. Abiding in Him. What does that mean? Literally to live in Him, to make our home in Him, to be at comfort and comfortable and at peace with Him and in Him. And He says, abide in me and my words abide in you. You know, it's amazing. His words should abide in us. But I wonder if you polled the average Christian today, would they know the words of Jesus Christ? It's like somebody who talks about the Ten Commandments. And, and when you're talking about salvation and they say, oh, brother, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. My first retort to them is name them. They can't name two or three of them. How can you name something? How can you say you live by something you can't name? How can you say the words of Christ abide in you when you don't even know what Christ has said? So he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, look what he says here. This is so cool. He says, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So as we see this, this relationship of Christ in the church, our relationship with Christ should be eternally bountiful. 
In other words, that should bring a tremendous amount of satisfaction to the saints. Now, is he saying, well, whatever you want, you just ask me and I'll give it to you. No, no, no. Be careful here. As we walk in him, as we abide in him, and as, our, and, our, and as we let his word abide in us, you know, that's going to change our desires. That's going to change our focus. That's going to change our wants. And it will bring our desires, our wants, and our needs in line with his word. He says elsewhere, if you ask what you will in my name, according to Matthew, he says, I will do it. In other words, this is not a blank check to get whatever you want. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. He's basically saying when you ask, when you're living in a right relationship and in fellowship with me, when we're abiding together, and you know, a relationship was one thing, but fellowship is when you're spending time together, getting to know one another, being comfortable with one another. You know, I had a relationship with my wife before we were married. We were dating. We were boyfriend and girlfriend, fiancés. But when we got married, we moved in together. We, ab we abided together, abode together, and that relationship deepened. And it's the same way when we cast our trust and faith in Jesus, then we become related with him. We have that relationship. But then as we walk with him, there's fellowship. We abide in him. He abides in us. And then therefore we can expect that wonderful bounty of blessing and satisfaction. And yes, he said, again, and this brings a lot of satisfaction. If you will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. But your desires will match up to his will. Your desires will be what he desires. If you ask something that he does not desire, don't expect it. And if you ask something that he does not desire, chances are you're not walking in that right relationship and fellowship to begin with anyway. So he says there will be satisfaction for the saints. But not only that, but part of that bounty will be glorification of our God. He goes on to say, he says this, he says, by this my Father is glorified. You know, as God's people walk with the Lord, and as God people cult, God rather cultivates things in people's lives, as he, as he begins to work in their lives, as a, as a vine dresser works in a vineyard, wondrous fruit comes up. And it's a, it's a glorification of the vine dresser. You know, when somebody comes into somebody's garden and they see all these wonderful vegetables and fruits, they say, my goodness, you've done a great job. My goodness, you're a wonderful farmer. You've got a green thumb. You know, there's a lot of praise there. When we are, are, are demonstrating the kind of fruit that comes from following and walking with Christ, when we are demonstrating that fruit, when that fruit is evident in our lives, people are getting saved because of us. Uh, we're demonstrating those spiritual qualities spoken of in Galatians 5. We are doing the righteous deeds that God requires. When those things are active in our lives and dynamic in our lives, people will then give glory to the farmer, the vine dresser. You say, why does God need all that glory? Because he wants people to look to him. You know, oftentimes religious people, what are they doing? Just empty religion? They're saying, look at me. Look how good I am. Look how holy I am. I'm righteous. I'm better than you. That doesn't give God any glory. But when we humbly go to God in faith and we receive Christ and we begin to walk in him and God becomes evident in our lives, my goodness, the more fruit, the better, because that brings glory to God. That brings honor to him and people will then be drawn to him and we'll have an opportunity to bear more fruit. And so how exciting is that? 
So there's satisfaction for the saints. There's glorification for God. And finally, we talk about the declaration of the gospel. As God is glorified, that gives us more opportunities to share why there's fruit in our lives. He said, by this, your father is glorified that you bear much fruit. In other words, we begin to bear more fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And part of that fruit bearing, specifically in this chapter, is bearing more Christians, bringing people to Christ, sharing the gospel. You know, when people see that God is real in us, they will want to know about him and who he is. Uh, I'm taking a tract in apologetics through seminary. Apologetics is the defense of God. It's, it's a way of talking to people and demonstrating the evidences for the reality of God. But you know what? You can't do that effectively until you demonstrate that God is real to you and in you. And you do that by bearing fruit. Now, again, just because you believe in God and it's real and your belief is genuine, that's not going to prove the existence of God, but that will prove that God is real to you and the, you'll, you'll set aside all that hypocrisy that the church has suffered with and continues to suffer with and people will see a genuineness and they'll see that fruit. They'll see that satisfaction as God is meeting your needs and bringing you along. They'll see the fruit that glorifies God and the doors will open for you and I to share the gospel and then we will bear much fruit. And he goes on to say, and he finishes by saying, so you will be my disciples. So a disciple is right here, again, defined as a fruit bearing man or woman who is abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in them. And therefore, we become disciples and we can then be discipling others. And part of that, and that, of course, yes, part of that and all of that is fruit bearing. And so this is what God is looking for. The nation of Israel in their empty self-righteousness set aside the Messiah. They set aside all of this. They were more interested in glorifying themselves rather than God. So as a branch, as, as a vineyard, they were taken up and they, they were set aside. He said they lifted them up and uh, they, were, they were set aside. But as we are, are being pruned by him, as we uh, respond to his word, as we allow his word to abide in us, him to abide in us, and we find our comfort, grace, and satisfaction by abiding in him, making our home in him, what a blessing that will be. As we finish this, this session, I want to share with you another quote from the Old Testament. It's from Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah, like Isaiah, was preaching of the coming judgment of God against the nation of Israel because they had gotten involved in empty religion. They had gotten involved in formulaic worship. They had gotten involved in doing the machines of belief and not true belief itself. And he says this, he says, many rulers have destroyed my vineyard. That word rulers, by the way, is the Hebrew word ra'ah, which can also mean shepherd. You know, many of our leaders in our churches today have, have not done due diligence to, to, to be what God wants them to be as they need to lead their church to discipleship. I know here at West Concord, we have much room for improvement. And so he says this, many rulers or shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate, desolate. It mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate. And here's the key. 
because no one takes it to heart. It's not important to work in the vineyard. It's not important to till. It's not important to cultivate. It's not important to get in there as vines to work with one another and to give honor to God. Listen, the way God intended discipleship to be was to be relationships, our first relationship with God. And as we're going to see more next week, our relationship with one another. But we have better, if we're going to be disciples, we had better see to our relationship with God. We had better make sure that our home is in Him and He has His home in us, that we're bearing fruit, not just fruit, but more fruit. And our desire is to bear much fruit so we can find satisfaction in that glorification to God and, and declaration of the gospel. And it is then when we're able to disciple and be disciples and be the church, be the people that God intended us to be. That's what Jesus wanted as he was getting ready to be crucified. That's what Jesus needed his disciples to know. And that's what Jesus needs you and I to know today. We need to step away from empty religion and we need to embrace that relationship with Christ. I hope you know Jesus as your savior today. You may call yourself a Christian. You may say, well, I've got baptized. My dad's a deacon, but do you know him? Have you trusted in him? You need to transfer your trust from what you can do to what Jesus has already done for you. You need to place your full faith and confidence in him as your savior. And you need to come to him admitting your sin, confessing your sin, and yes, owning your sinfulness. Realizing that because of your sinfulness, you can't save yourself, that you must rely fully and completely on Him, trusting Him and only Him to save you. And if you'll do that, God will save you. And then God will begin to work in your life. You will have a relationship with Him. And, and the Spirit will begin to work. And as you yield to Him, you will begin to bear fruit. And the further you yield to Him, there will be more fruit. And as you truly allow Him to live in you and you in Him, and you yield to that, you will bear much fruit. And what a wonderful, glorious thing God will do with you. And I believe he'll do that through our church and your church as well. Thank you for, for joining us today. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll finish up. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, it is through him that we have the confidence of an eternal life in heaven with you. Father, we have many out there, Lord, who are listening and watching who may have been deceived by empty religion, following after laws and, and, and looking after their self-righteousness. Father, help us to step away from that. Help us to realize religion doesn't save. As a matter of fact, religion hinders. Father, help us to realize that there's nothing in ourselves that make us righteous. That, Father, we must count fully and totally upon Jesus as our Savior to be saved. That, Father, we must fall before Him in brokenness so that by faith He can lift us up and make us new again. And, Father, we pray that as we make that decision, Lord, as we trust Him, as we receive Him and become saved, then we will begin to walk with You, to live with You, to allow You to cultivate our lives, to prune us, to make us, to let Your Word uh, cut away anything that's wrong and make us a, a vibrant, a vibrant branch in your vine that is Christ. Help us to bear fruit. Help us then to bear more fruit and much fruit. And Lord, may we truly be a discipling church, a discipling people. And may this new season as we get through winter and come out in spring and as the COVID stuff begins to recede, Father, may your church rise and be a glorification to you. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for this privilege of being able to share this with these people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening. 